0: Relaxed, this is TOEFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and I am relaxed, Charlie. We had a brief discussion about uh, the clothing we're wearing with podcast Mike. I thought he looked very uh, emo, and he's wearing like a little two-tone sweater. Looks very cool, but very emo. And then we got into a discussion about how once uh, on a casual clothes day at school, he wore all black and was teased so mercilessly that he's never done it again. Never worn it
1: again. I mean, also black is the color of the, you know, high school goth, right? That's where I got into black listening to The Cure and stuff. So the idea that everybody teased you and made you really sad is actually on brand for then wearing black clothing. So, I mean... It was totally on brand. He should have leaned into the black. He should have started wearing, like, black mascara and dyeing his hair black. Black is cool. I mean, when
0: when Gemma and I started dating, Gemma was a goth for a number of years. She's got some great photos of her living in Edinburgh where she's full gothed up, the Betty Page wig, the lip piercings, black lipstick, everything. And when we started dating, it's fair to say, Will, that I was not a goth. Uh, I mean, the way she always describes my outfit when we met was at a party... I was wearing like uh, like moleskin pants, uh, a bright red uh, zip up tracksuit top, and tennis sweatbands on my wrists, <laughs> like I was like I was in some forty one or something.
1: You definitely had a lead singer of a band of the era sort of look going on, and it's been very easy yeah. for you to ease into middle aged dad who hasn't given up on his youth because that's kind of the look you always always. <laughs> You always dress like a 40-something dad who wanted to pretend he was still young.
0: Back when you could go to the gym, there was a dude who went to my gym that I was fascinated by because he was in his sort of like mid-50s. He kind of was a really like muscular, rugged looking dude, kind of a bit like Mickey Rourke, but without all the plastic surgery, but that kind of face, you know, that granite face. and, And he would spend like hours of the gym he'd be there when I arrived and he'd be there after I left he would just very slowly make his way around the gym and he'd always have a copy of like the Daily Telegraph and he would sit at a machine and he would pump out a couple of reps and then he would stop and then he would flick through his magazine and you know just sort of take his time and he'd chat to staff and but never rushed but he was always wearing like brand new, fresh out-of-the-box like Nikes. Obviously like a, a sneaker pimp kind of dude. Really like lush looking Nikes, never the same pair. And then it would always be a really loud pair of like Mambo board shorts, like the, the brighter and the weirder the design, the better. And then up top would be a t-shirt that was kind of like like a like a skate brand, like a vans or something like that. But then he'd always have like a crisp, flat build baseball cap on his head but turned slightly to the side sometimes with the reflector sticker on it now remember i said this guy's in his mid-50s <laughs> and so i would see this dude get about the gym and i'm I was always like what is his story like clearly in the late eight or maybe the mid to late 90s shit was pretty good for him that's when he was fucking you know going to uh, what was the what was the big, uh, 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 music festival is all like it'd be hip-hop bands but like pop pop, punk bands and what was it called you know um Vans Warped Tour (laughs) he went to Vans Warped Tour and he had the best time ever and so he just said this is my look this is what I'm wearing every day just board shorts fresh kicks uh a skater t-shirt and a brand new baseball cap flat brim
1: sticker on just jauntily tilted to the side okay here's what I reckon his story is he's the real Mickey Rourke so here's how I imagine it went down Mickey Rourke went to the Vans Warped Tour one day he was having the best time of his life he was just like I know I've been a really successful actor I've made all this money in Hollywood but what I really want to be able to do is just go and see Blink one eight two and sum forty one on the same fucking bill in the <laughs> afternoon. I just want to like have a big day out with my mates, enjoy some good fucking music, and
0: as you, I just want to go on the I just want to go on the half pipe. I just want to go on the half pipe for a bit, hit the Dodgem cars, then check out sum forty one.
1: But you know what, uh, Mickey Rock can't do. Mickey Rock can't go on the fucking Dodgem cars because people are going to be like, oh look, it's Mickey Rock, and they're going to bother him, and so he has to stay in the VIP area. And so that day, Mickey Rourke, Hollywood actor, made a decision, which explains a lot of what happened after this, that he wanted a more simple life. He no longer wanted to be Hollywood actor Mickey Rourke, but the only way that he could make him disappear was to hire another Mickey Rourke to be Mickey Rourke so that he could disappear and never be bothered again because nobody would be like, you can't disappear... And look like Mickey Rourke because people were like, hey, you're Mickey Rourke, and he disappeared. He had to make it seem that Mickey Rourke had never disappeared in the first place. And so he's got his vans. I love it. He's got his vans he's got himself a life supply yep. of Mambo with all that fucking Hollywood money he'd made as a movie actor. And he's got himself right. a whole bunch of fucking caps that he's never going to take the sticker off. And he fucking loaded up his iPod with, you know, some 41. And he just goes down to the gym every day. He lives by the beach in Sydney. He goes to the gym every day. He presses iron and nobody ever cares that he's Hollywood actor Mickey Rourke. But the problem was that he couldn't find another guy who looked exactly like Mickey Rock? So he said to the guy, mm. what I'm going to get you to do is have some plastic surgery, not to look more like me, yeah. to look less like me. Because the cover story is going yeah. to be not that you look exactly like me, but that me, the original Ricky Mickey Rock, never doesn't actually look like me anymore. So you just get increasingly bizarre plastic surgery but you get to have a, like a second revival at Hollywood. You get to get all the trappings of this new Mickey Rock. But you are Dread Pirate Robert style. One day at a party, he's like, "I've got a confession. I am not the real Mickey Rock." I love it.
0: I think we can take some cues from the Paul McCartney conspiracy that Paul McCartney died and they replaced him with a lookalike. We've delved into this in previous episodes. William Campbell was his name. Apparently, he was a lookalike who won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest and then uh, joined the Beatles for the last two albums, but then refused to give up the ruse and went on to have a solo career, much to the chagrin
1: of MI6. Well, this is very similar with Mickey Rourke. They didn't want him to make a comeback. (laughs) They were watching the second Iron Man film just going, this wasn't the plan, man. Or do you think...
0: So in the Paul McCartney instance, the, the idea is that MI6 approached the Beatles to say, hey, look, we just found out that Paul died in a car accident. But we're terrified that if this news gets out, it's going to cause mass suicides amongst teenage girls and girls across the world, the Beatles fans. So we've, uh, <laughs> we've gone out to find a look like and uh, we want you guys. And so the Beatles being, you know, wanting their fans to stay safe, agreed to it at first because they thought, how bad could this get? Are we saying that Mickey Rourke, there was... Is it just selfish reasons, just the anonymity? Or was there some kind of greater good that he was serving?
1: No, 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 no. No, I think he just had such a good time at the Vans Warped Tour. Okay. Like, he realised that he'd had enough success as a Hollywood actor and he was (laughs) the level of fame he was now at wasn't the life that he wanted to live. So he's just like, I don't want to fucking, like constantly have to go to hollywood things i want to just be like you know like you said down on the half pipe i want yeah. to be down on the dodgeham cars i want to like you know like you know what i want to do i want to spend the day listening to no effects and rants <laughs> that's what i want to do with
0: my time. all right podcast mike while we're talking see if you can triangulate Look at pictures of Mickey Rourke through the 90s and see at what point there's a big shift. Like, when did the big plastic surgery happen? Because I reckon we can zero in. If we find out what year or what, you know, uh, if it's the, you know, the era that it's in, we might be able to pinpoint it to a Vans Warped Tour and work out who, he wa- who it was oh, yeah, that he right. saw that inspired him to this life choice.
1: So we want to know... Yeah, okay. So what we want to know is what year did Mickey Rourke ha- first have plastic surgery? Yeah. We want to try to find out what year that was and then we have to take off maybe a year yeah. you know, beforehand for him to plan and get the plan into place and then find out who was on the Warp Tour that year yeah. uh, that, that, made, <laughs> that made Mickey Rourke want to walk away from his identity and live in the suburbs of Sydney pumping iron under the name Ricky Mork. <laughs>
0: ricky mork as in like mork from mork no you idiot as in ricky mork that's my name (laughs) uh i love it i love it for so many reasons one okay tell me this so in his new life, his new sort of, you know, his Vans T-shirt and his mm. flat billed cap and the sneakers, because he had such a good time at that festival, he wanted to just hang on to that one day forever, right? That's what you're suggesting? Yeah. So yes. when he planned to do his last Vans warp Tour before he disappeared into anonymity, he's going to want to get as many souvenirs as he can. Are you saying that Mickey Rourke went and bought every bit of merch, every bit, of, every show bag, every gift bag from that last tour he went on, to supply, you know, the next 20 years of his life living in
1: anonymity in Australia. He said, and we've all had this sort of a music festival, wouldn't it be great if we could just relive <laughs> this moment every day for the rest of our lives? This is the greatest of times. And Mickey Rourke realised that he was in a position to actually do that. All he had to do, was quite a simple plan with the wealth and fame that he had, all he had to do was get another guy to be uh, Mickey Rourke so that he could be Ricky Mork, and he could relive that greatest day of his life, there's a chance that he occasionally gets a live performance by one of the bands. He's probably Mm. still got enough money to, like, you know, if, like, some 41 are in Sydney, like, maybe they pop over to Mickey Rourke's place and he lifts some weights and puts on on his bands, his bamboo shorts, and just rocks (laughs) out in a private concert. All right, so
0: Podcast Mark has found some info. Apparently, Rourke's boxing career resulted in a notable physical change in the 90s as his face needed reconstructive surgery to mend his injuries. His
1: face was later called, and this is a quote from someone, appallingly disfigured. Maybe he found, maybe the only guy he could find, maybe it's pre-boxing. Maybe this is where the changeover took place. So maybe he's gone to this like, maybe sort of late 80s, early 90s, he's gone to a Van's Warp tour. And he's gone. This is yeah. great. I can find this guy. He looks like me, but he's an amateur. Like, no, he like. How? What's our cover story? I'll get him involved in boxing so he gets his no, face he around a little
0: bit. No, no. Mickey Rourke needs cover for. I'm uh, saying you're saying Mickey Rourke is like I'm going to go into a boxing match. So there's when I come out looking different. There's this will be the, the reason why. Suddenly, it's not going to be like his face is suddenly different. I need to go in and take one for the team to, to make this cover story watertight.
1: No, I'm no, I no no. I think that, that Mickey Rourke is saying, I have stopped being Mickey Rourke actor. And when Mickey Rourke announced that he was going to become a boxer, that was no longer Mickey Rourke. That I think we can go back to that, the time because this was the perfect cover story. He's like, what better cover story than because you can't throw him back into acting because everyone's like, what? Why can't Mickey Rourke act in the way that mm. he used to be able to act? He needs to be doing something other than that good celebrity cover is is gonna have a career in boxing this guy's like yeah i can box a little like i'll get punched around a bit and then i can get plastic surgery no but i think that mickey rourke's got to get his face
0: bashed in so that when he comes out of hospital that's where you do the changeover and you you let the other you let ricky Mork walk out of the hospital because people have got to see mickey rourke's face get well let me ask you
1: let me ask you a question because you have you have better information than me Does the Ricky Mork that you saw at the local gym look like he's had his face bashed in in a boxing match or not? (laughs) Yes, he does. He does, okay. Well, it happened post-boxing then. You're right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he looks gnarly. Like, I don't know what Ricky Mork, the Ricky Mork I see, uh, what he does for a living. I get the feeling it might be something where you don't file tax returns, (laughs) you know what I mean? Where you do have time off in the middle of the day to just walk around and read the newspaper. I
1: think he's living off he's done some deal with the new Mickey Rock where he gets like 10, 15% of any money Man. that he earns now as it's like a franchising sort of operation. So oh, like, you know, you
0: how bad would he be feeling? Like for him, it's like watching the stock market. So he sees Mickey Rock to the wrestler and he's like, Oh my God, like my 10% is going to get bigger and bigger. And then it's like, hang on. He's doing what? He's doing the Expendables. Oh no! He's appearing at the WWF. Oh no! He's just watching your stock price crash because the smaller his takings get, the, sma- the smaller Ricky Mork's takings get.
1: Is there a chance that he went back for one final performance? That the guy who's been living as Mickey Rock wasn't enjoying living as Mickey Rock and decided he needed a bit of a career boost, and so Ricky Mork has shut up his little you know apartment he has in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And he's got on a plane and he's swapped back over for one final role just to restart Mickey Rourke's career again.
0: So that's the wrestler. So are you saying that Ricky yeah. Mork, sorry, Mickey Rourke went back and said to Ricky Mork, "Hey man, I'm just going to do one more film. But he'd still have beautiful early Mickey Rourke face. Does he get? Does he have to go into a boxing match and get fucked up as well? <laughs> or are you saying it's just prosthetics, like the... the Darren Aronofsky just used excellent prosthetics. Darren Aronofsky's in on The Conspiracy. No,
1: Darren didn't know, but it was prosthetics. Okay. Mickey was getting the prosthetics done right. at home before he went into work every day and the makeup people never noticed. I think, I think it's as,
0: you know how we were talking in a, a previous episode about we should do a conspiracy podcast mm-hmm. where we like try and come up with one and then just leak it out? I mean, if the Paul McCartney-William Campbell conspiracy can last 45 years, then surely the Mickey Rourke-Ricky Mork
1: conspiracy. How do we get that out? How do we get it out? Who do we leak it to? Reddit. I mean, it feels very Reddity. I mean, you just get on some sort of event. Why was Iron Man 2 not very good? Well, the real reason finally... Re- so we get... <laughs> we, we fucking call up James We're on the Weekly Planet and we say, mate, yeah. Oh, great idea. We've we've got to get you to do one of your uh, very popular internet videos about pop culture, and it's going to be one of your big red arrow videos, right? So you're going to do one of your lists of the ten best conspiracies in Hollywood, right? So we don't yes. need this to be a whole episode, but when you're doing one of your ten best, you know, conspiracies about like what's going on in the Marvel universe or whatever, just put in the fact that uh, Iron Man 2 was no good because it wasn't the real Mickey Rourke and the real Mickey Rourke lives under the identity Ricky Mork in the eastern <laughs> suburbs of Sydney and is obsessed with the Vans warp
0: Tour. I reckon we get a hashtag going. People tag James on Twitter, hashtag Ricky Mork, and get him, <laughs> to put pressure on him to create that video.
1: If you see a guy in the eastern suburbs of Sydney who looks vaguely like Mickey Rourke, <clears throat> just go up to him and say, Hey, Are you Ricky Mork? (laughs) I'm actually confused as
0: to who Ricky Mork is now. Mickey Rourke is what Ricky Mork changes his name to, isn't he? Yes, Mickey Rourke became Ricky Mork. Well, the true mystery, Will, is not what did Ricky Mork do. The true mystery is who is the man who became Mickey Rourke. Who's this? Who is this guy? Is he
1: an actor uh, himself? Stunt man. He'd have to be an actor. Stunt man. It has to be an actor because no, stunt man's perfect. Actor, there'll be too much of a record of a guy who's an actor and but stunt man is absolutely perfect. Right. Yeah. Because someone who's been around the industry enough to be able to like, you know, like I'm sure that if you got a few things wrong about how you behave on a set, then people are just like, go, Oh, well that's Mickey Rourke. He's a bit, you know, out there yeah like so part of his like out there personality would cover over any cracks but you need someone who understands the system at least so that's a stunt man the wrestler we're talking stunts like being a like if he has to step into the boxing ring and lose a couple of fights that's a good stunt man thing aren't
0: you saying that mickey rock came back to do the wrestler though he did all the other films
1: who knows man (laughs) anything's possible
0: all right, I'm just looking at Mickey Rourke's filmography on uh, IMDb because I, I feel like he did sort of just disappear in the mid-90s. I, wa- I want to know if I can pick yeah. where it happened. What was his last film before come comeback? Okay, so when he was like the heartthrob in the 80s, right? That was when he did Nine yeah. and a Half Weeks, Year of the Dragon, The Probe of Greenwich Village, Prayer for the Dying, Barfly. I mean, he did some good fucking films. Homeboy, Francesco, yeah. Johnny Handsome, Wild Orchid, that... Oh, that's okay. So he's still handsome there because that's, the, that's that. Uh, it's a B grade porno. Have you ever seen Wild Orchid? It's like. I think maybe I've seen some of it. Real terrible. Uh, Desperate Owls, Anthony Hopkins, Harley
1: Davidson and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> have you done an episode of that on Gruen? I have seen that film though, and uh, I did not mind it actually. <laughs> okay. So, Don Johnson, right? Yes. Yes. Don Johnson. Uh, which is which? Harley
0: Davidson is Mickey Rourke and the Marlboro Man. Is Don Johnson. Okay, so it seems around 1995, he disappears for a bit, like two years. And then he comes back in yeah. double team with uh, Jean-Claude, Van Damme, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman in the 1997 oh. classic double team. So that's his first film. I'm trying to see if there's any photos of him to see what his face looks like. Okay, he's in this 97. So, oh, he's pretty handsome. Okay, still got his normal face okay. in nineteen ninety seven. So, all right, I'm going to suggest that it was the Warp Tour
1: 2000 that radicalized Mickey Rourke. Okay, I'm going to look up what the Warp Tour 2000. Here we go. Um, let's have a look at who was on. All right, um, on the and you just tell me uh, which of these bands you think yeah. it might have been that. Or whether this was such a good tour with the cumulative bands on these lineups that it was enough for Mickey Rourke to go, I want to relive this day for the rest of my life. Um, All right. Okay. (laughs) On the north stage, the Ataris, um, Green Day. Okay. I reckon Green Day. That would have been right up Mickey Rourke's. Jurassic Five. Good group, Jurassic Five, but not really what I would have expected on the Vans Warp Tour. Uh, No Doubt. Oh man! They're not radicalizing anyone. No FX, good band, and Charlie, one of your favorite bands in the entire world, Weezer. Weezer. <laughs> okay, that's not a bad. That's not a bad little lineup. I got to be honest with you. Um, the Black Eyed Peas played before they were shit. Um, <laughs> uh, who else? Um, <sighs> unwritten Law. AFI um, whew, we're starting to Like Papa Roach? Okay.
0: Papa Roach I found played. A photo. I found a photo of Mickey Rourke in two thousand when he was at the Carter yep. premiere and his face is fucked up. So I'm officially saying that it was this tour. Or would it be the no. ninety nine tour? was the year
1: before. It's gotta be nineteen ninety nine. This this was not it. Okay. Okay. We have okay. to work this out. Yeah. No, I think this is we've just gone one year. Not a bad lineup, but it's not going to change your life. Okay. All right. Here we go. So I'm going to have a look at the poster from 1990. While
0: you're doing that, uh, podcast Mike has just uh, uh, put in the message window that Weezer released a song this week, which is the single from the Bill and Ted's movie, the new Bill and Ted movie. Is that right? Oh. It's fun. I really like it. Like, if, if you're looking for a bit of nostalgia with Bill and Ted, Weezer have just released a bit of nostalgia with a Weezer track. Like, it's it's so Weezer-ish.
1: <laughs> All right, it's called "The Beginning of the End." Thanks, Mike. Okay, here's what I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I've got the poster, so this is really just in uh, order from. I'm gonna actually start at the top, the headliners, and I'm gonna work my way down to yep. the bottom because there are some acts down the bottom that are are quite interesting. I think so. Okay. Uh, the number one uh, headliner act on the warp Tour in 1999 was a hip-hop rock crossover, but mostly hip-hop act. Uh, very big in the stoner community. Excellent, excellent band life. Oh, Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Okay, so, so I could see this. Already I'm thinking this would be a pretty great day if yeah. Cypress Hill was playing. <laughs> okay, in second place on the headliners... A band uh, that has been previously mentioned on this podcast about that certain era of music. Not Rage Against the Machine. No, 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 no. But uh, in today's episode, as an example of one of the sort of bands that might have influenced uh, Ricky Mork to change his life. Oh, uh, Sum 41. You got the numbers right. Uh, what Blink-182. 182. Blink-182. 182. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He's like doing math. <laughs> What's the answer? Sum 41. I know. Then... Well, I mean, I would say, like, I don't know if this meant these groups were particularly big at the time, but Seven Dust, Molotov, suicidal tendencies were quite big, I guess. Yeah. Less than Jake. Now, um, now we're talking about a guy who most recently is famous for his work on television crime procedurals. Ice Tea. Ice Tea. Um, the Vandals. A band that are famous for doing the theme song to the AFL commercial one year? Oh. Um, uh, the Dropkick Murphys. The Dropkick Murphys. Uh, F- Bouncing Souls, H2O, River Phoenix. There used to be a band called River Phoenix. Um, all right. Pennywise, is,
0: good band. So, sorry, hang on one sec. What does FOB mean? Mike just put FOB in the message window. Is, that, is he insult? Is that young person insult? Fat old bastard? Oh, Fallout Boy! <laughs> I, thought, I thought podcast Mike was insulting.
1: No, Fallout Boy. Okay, thank you. I knew that. The Fobs. I love the Fobs. So, Pennywise, great band. Black Eyed Peas are on the lineup again. At that time, pretty cool band. Now, there are three Australians. So here is what we're looking oh. for at this stage: is we're we're trying to look for a link why Mickey Rourke might not just want to change his name to Ricky Moore, but why he might (laughs) want to move to Australia to live out the perfect day of his life. Because it wouldn't have been in Australia where he's seen this Vans Warp Tour. He's seen it in America. But there's something about this perfect day that has said to him, I want to move to Australia. And it was not one, not two, but three bands from the great land down under who played on the Vans Warp Tour this year. Can you, Charlie, name it... Before I start giving clues... Can you name any of the three bands that might have played the Vans Warped Tour in 1999? Ah, uh, I mean, is Twenty Eight Days one of them? Twenty Eight Days not on the lineup. Ah, oh, come on, they are a perfect Vans Warped Tour band. I, I think they had too many bands with numbers in their name that year, and it got <laughs> very confusing. Um, okay, are they? Are they sort of? Um, you g- give
0: me, give me a genre. Well, are they all sort of? Are they different genres? Are they all pop punk? Are they all are they
1: hip hop? All Australian rock bands. Uh, rock bands. We would call them. I think. Okay. I think we uh, would so call t- them Australian rock bands. Two thousands and so where, Because tell me, one's did, a punk. One, sorry, one, two, two rock bands. One punk band. Um, one rock band. Okay. Two thousand. Is it too early for the vines? Too early. Fuck. This is hard. Who were were they big in Australia? Three bands that you would still recognize their names, and if they, I think two of the bands are still bringing out new music. Um, Silverchair? No. Where does,
0: tell me, where does the Vans Warp Tour rank in terms of prestige? Because isn't it kind of like a niche
1: festival? Well, it's a rock, punk rock festival, right? Like it's got right. a certain vibe to it. But like they there's hip a few hop there's too some rap. Well. Yeah, hip hop, hip hop rock. It was that sort of thing. But none of these bands are hip-hop rock bands. Oh, who would it be? Uh, have have I seen them? Do you know? <laughs> have we seen them? Have I seen them? It would not surprise me if you've seen all three, but I don't know if you've seen any of the three. <sighs> um Do any of them have a female lead singer? Festival Staples. Australian Festival Staples. I'm just trying to think. I don't know, man. Um, Okay, 1,200 Techniques. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, they're rock bands. They're two rock bands and a punk band. I'll give you a clue. The punk band... Famous for having a like a punkish friends or rom, friends or rom. Okay, so friends or rom is one of the bands. Then you have the two that are still releasing music today and playing gigs today. Um, one one is a three piece, uh, if that helps. The Dirty Three, they've played the AFL grand final, I think. Uh, oh, the guy, yeah, I know, Living End, The Living End, and last but definitely not least, um. I'm sure you will have seen this band, but if not, you will have seen their lead singer backstage at a music festival at some stage.
0: I don't know what that clue means. Um, I've seen in backstage him. So it's a guy and it's a rock and roll band.
1: Um, uh, Grinspoon. Grinspoon. There you go. Oh my God. I actually fucking got one. Grinspoon, the living end and yeah, a friend's of right. ROM were all on the van's warp tour of 1999. You know what's hilarious? I went to Blues Fest last year. Guess
0: who I met? Phil Jamison. Phil Jamison backstage. Backstage.
1: <laughs> You're right. It was actually the best clue ever. <laughs> that was so perfectly calibrated, Will, because I had that exact experience. You're right. And tell me now, which of those three bands have you seen? Have you seen them all? Have you seen any of them? Um, none of them. Oh, no, Living all, End. I've seen the Living End. All good live bands. At that, all very good
0: live bands. Uh, at, at, the big, at the big day out. So does that count?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I didn't go to see them. It's not like I went to see them. They were playing at a place I was at. (laughs) This will sound like an unkind thing to say, but I don't think anyone goes to see The Living End. You see The Living End at something else you were already going to. And then The Living End, uh, there's always a comedian who... For whatever reason, can't pull a crowd off their own reputation. But if you go to a lineup night, they'll always be the back best act on the lineup night. They're not the person you came yeah. to see, but they're the person you go home talking about. And I think it's probably a bit unkind because I know they have a huge following of their own. But the Living End always are that band to me. Where I don't think I've ever owned a Living End album. I never would go, hey, the Living End are on. Let's go and see their gigs. But every time I see them at a festival, I am blown away by it how excellent a band they are it's
0: a weird thing i mean i know exactly what you're talking about but it's a weird phenomenon isn't it that someone can be talented but it's not necessarily something that compels you like is that is that the kind of is that just like a star factor thing i mean there's a ton of i'm just trying to think of like i've been going down this monty python rabbit hole right and it's fair to say that there are so many Monty Python documentaries out there. Like I've watched six Monty Python documentaries in the last week because I've just been on this nostalgia trip and, and just so fascinated by their entire story. And it's, I, it is the charisma of that group of men in different factors. Like I think Simon Pegg, one of the documentaries I'm watching at the moment, it's uh, they get a bunch of celebrities in to talk about their favourite sketch. And so like Mike Myers is on it and Jim Carrey and Simon Pegg and Simon Peg because they ask all the all the celebrities of who's your favorite member, and Simon Pegg's like, "Well, you can't say that because it's like the X-Men or Justice League or whatever. they're all good for different reasons. And you know, you watch these live shows that they did, and it's like, oh my God, they were the closest thing to rock stars because'm I was trying to think of what has there been an equivalent comedy troupe that have done and had the lasting impact?" of Monty Python, like that show they did at the O2 arena. I had, I remember hearing about it at the time and having fondness for Python or whatever, but just didn't really think about it. Now watching all these documentaries and seeing the footage from that show, I'm like, Oh my God, I should have gone to that. Like it was so amazing, but there is something about that group, which is like, they're almost in a kind of arena on their own because is what's the next biggest sort of comedy troupe that would rival them in terms of
1: popularity and influence? I, I don't know enough about the history of American comedy, like but I imagine there's some sort of groundlings or mad TV or like yeah, you know, Saturday Night Live, you know, style alumni, but they seem like bigger I mean what was that show that in living color like you know there was a few of those sort of shows that had their own but none of them to me seemed as big or spawned as many careers and as Monty Python like Maybe way back in the early days of American comedy, there might have been like, you know, some sort of like you know your Bob Newhart crew or these late TV shows that had these. I mean, there was some legendary writers' room that had like Woody Allen and Mel Brooks or something mm. in, in it. So I guess there's probably equivalencies. I guess like, but to us, I can't imagine there's anyone bigger than Monty Python. For shorter periods, definitely. Like
0: you know, there was times when there was a group of great comedians together, but the thing mm. that makes them unique is. 45 years you know obviously losing members and all that kind of stuff but essentially they it's not like they were all consistently putting stuff out they would just revisit their dynamic for a short amount of time you know it might be five years 10 years whatever and because you watch that the show they did the o2 arena and it's so like it's it's a it's a cheesy dumb idea you're watching a bunch of 70 year old men get dressed up to say lines of sketches you know off by heart you know and you're like, what is it about this that I'm interested in? And then you realize it's kind of, it's more about praying at the altar of the thing you worshipped as a kid. It's it's the experience of the familiarity of it and the feeling you had when you first saw that sketch or, you know, you saw John Cleese do the Silly Walk or whatever. Like Gemma and I watched the Silly Walk sketch last night. I haven't seen it in 20 years and it's fucking hilarious. Like, it is so good. Like, the, the, the stuff that they did is... is I don't know. I've just really been thinking about it a lot because after Terry but Jones died... Like-
1: don't you think there's something also about... And this? I think this is what you were saying to a certain extent, but you like to see them together. There's something that yeah. they make together. These bunch of people who got along to various degrees and sometimes didn't get along at all, who weren't all exactly the same. They didn't have the same backgrounds necessarily. They certainly did not have the same skill sets. But together... And all these people who've gone off and done individually a whole bunch of different and interesting things. But there is just something about when they are all together that is more special than when they are all apart from each other. And even though you know that they don't necessarily get along and you know that they're 70-year-old men just like doing these things Mm -hmm. they wrote as young men, there's something about nice. Like I think part of the appeal of the original Python is that it does feel like a group of... Friends, you know, that's how you interpret mm. it when you watch it. A group of friends, yeah, making these silly things together, and sometimes the funniness is in one of them not trying to break up, or one of them trying like it is. It's not just that the sketch is amazing, it is that you love watching them work together inside the sketch.
0: It's dude, it's adorable. It's adorable seeing them on stage together being silly and doing funny voices, like they did Graham Norton's show, and like it's so. it's so predictable yet so welcome and it's it's really funny because it's been making me think a lot about their commitment to creating python was always about like let's not repeat ourselves like let's not do a fourth season you know we feel like we've done everything we're going to do with flying circus okay let's try and get to film now all right if we're going to do a stage show why are we doing a stage show and there's always an intent and a resistance to push past that like they originally were going to do one show and it was literally to pay off legal debts they had with the o2 arena show and then terry jones needed to pay off his mortgage so they're like okay we'll add another show so terry can pay off his mortgage and then those tickets sold so fast they did 10 shows and those shows all sold out so they all made like a ton of money and then of course offers roll in from the us and the rest of the world and it's like well you guys can go on tour for a year and you'll make you know you'll never have to work again you'll be set your families will be set but michael paling was the first one to say i don't want to do that like I'm actually comfortable where I am and you know I'm glad Terry's house has paid off that I have enough money and that was fun and I don't want to go past it and that has been the motto their entire career that's why they haven't sort of stuck together for years they will come together when it works and when it interests them like even Terry Gilliam. like had such a punk attitude in the 70s when people were wanting them to you know make movies and stuff he just wanted to release stuff that would disappoint people or completely subvert expectations like i can't remember what the example was but you know he said they should take money from a tv station and just go out and film trees for like half an hour and just bring it back to them and like say yeah that's the show and put their names to it because he was like if you're not fucking with this system then what is the point
1: yeah i agree but but that we've seen what that left unguarded by the moderation of others creates as well like terry gilliam you know for all his genius he's also a complete and utter hot mess genius you know without that sort of guiding force of what the others in that group brought to him as well and i think that you see that i mean i think that funnily enough you know there are the michael palins of it the more sort of subdued characters originally like hilarious like you know some of the most iconic characters mm. but also felt like they were more subdued in the dynamic of the group have been those who've been able to adjust to real life and the real world perhaps a little bit you know in a less complicated fashion than some of the others have but there's just something about it's i guess it's like when you know when Axel rose tours doing fucking guns and roses songs and it's not Guns N' Roses. Like Buckethead's probably playing the guitar mm. pretty much as well as Slash plays the guitar, but you're just like, just quite, isn't quite the same That's with Buckethead, is it? <laughs> so what's the tipping point though? Like just say Python were to
0: continue, now Terry Jones is gone. Like how many members are they allowed to get down to before you're like, uh, you know, now this feels like Axl Rose with Buckethead. I mean, I'd,
1: it would be great if one of them just keeps like doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like i yeah. just keep like Ma- constantly like replacing Ramone. the rest of the fucking
0: cast. I went, I went and saw Mikey Ramone uh, did a tour to Australia. He played at the Corner Hotel, which was like a night with Mikey Ramone where um, he uh, would just tell stories and a Q&A about being in the Ramones. And then he, and I think there's a, and I'm just saying, this is the name of the band, the Spazzies. They were a band, yes. right? Like a, a sort of punky band. So uh, he would play with them. He'd play drums with them and they'd do like Ramones covers. But it was like the thinnest premise for a tour I think I've ever seen. It's literally the drummer from the band is going to get up and play like cover songs and then give you vaguely
1: remembered like anecdotes from his time on the road with the Ramones. Who is the python that is most likely to just keep – because Cleese wouldn't. Cleese like – Eric Idle,
0: Without, (laughs) without a doubt. Eric Idle lives in L.A., well, Eric Idle, what you learn from... One, I can't remember one of the docos I saw, but it's the it's the behind the scenes of the O2 Arena show. And so Eric Idle had, was the one who did spam a lot. So he yeah. had all the theatre experience. So that it fell to him to kind of take over the show. And you watch him and he's really fucking good at it and he has a good instincts for because they film all these sketches to play in between the live stuff and so you know he does a joke with Stephen Hawking and Brian Cox where they talk about the song from the meaning of life like Brian Cox breaks it down to say it's not scientifically accurate before getting run over by Stephen Hawking so like it has like enough of a Python feel to it and you're sort of watching it and then you see him putting the show together and he knows all the all the sketches and he's curated the best ones and you're like oh Eric Idle is the what do you what do you call it? The person who's left in charge of the IP, he's like the, um,
1: like he's the guardian of of Python. Oh, he's now, a custodian. He's custodian. That's the word I was looking for. And you know what? He's the one that could do it. So if, if he's the only one who's still surviving and people still have a nostalgia for it, he could probably rethink it and rework it and write some songs about, you know, some original songs to put in the middle of it or well, he's,
0: that sort of thing. Well, he still performs like he likes, he's on the sort of stage all the time and stuff. He still performs. Whereas, I mean, the other thing about these documentaries, cause I've been jumping all over the place. Some of them, you know, are made in the sixties, some of them are, you know, in the early 2000s and. Sort of just seeing different John Cleases and Where are you Jesus finding Christ's. these
1: documentaries,
0: by the way? All on Netflix. You know how they suggest all of things? them Because you've been watching. Yeah. All, all of them have been on Netflix. There's at least five. Um, wow. And then I, I, da- I
1: downloaded one. There, on, go, uh, there goes my YouTube week. week what did you do with the great quarantine of 2020 well i just found (laughs) out there's five more monty python documentaries i can watch strap in guys because i'll be talking about my takes on monty python next week (laughs) dude it's
0: the best I've, i've been having such a good time just watching all the sketches and stuff but john cleese like you're just so happy for him now when you see him that he seems to have relaxed a bit like he did not enjoy any of their success. Like he didn't, like he didn't really hang out with the group when they sort of broke into into Hollywood. He wasn't really. He went home early. He, he seemed to have no desire for any of that stuff. But it wasn't you know, high-minded ideals necessarily. He literally, his brain could not process. He's such an analytical guy. Like, you can just sort of see that Basil Fawlty character is just an extension of the kind of person he is. He's sort of tortured and desperate to be this one thing and, you know, just caught in this dichotomy the whole time. But now as an old man, you feel like he's found some peace. Like, he seems to, he's so pleasant in that O2 Arena show and the way he's talking with the other guys. And
1: there's just a genuine affection there. And you're like, oh, this is nice. This is how I want the story to end. So I've probably talked about both these stories before on the podcast, but I'm going to mention them again. So two things about John Cleese, because he can be, he can have some opinions that like, you know, people aren't particularly comfortable with, you know, they're not necessarily the most modern of opinions occasionally, but I think it comes from his analytical mind. But um, I I was doing a show in, uh, at Jess for Laughs in Montreal and I was making a little show about it for Channel 10 and, we interviewed John Cleese as part of like a press conference interview, but at the end, um, you know, I, I got him to do a special shout out to Amy, you know, just a personal shout out. And he was very happy to do it, which I think was a good sign. And then, so I did a, a festival just for laughs at the Sydney opera house. And the lineup was incredible. It was like, I think Martin Short was on and like Dylan Moran was on. And, you know, before, uh, you know, before, uh, we knew about Louis CK, the Louis CK that we that that Louis CK. Remember how legendary he was? He was on the lineup, and John Cleese was hosting it. And I think I I may I may have been the only Australian on the lineup. And it was it was a pretty prestigious gig. And we were told that John Cleese would come on from one side of the stage, and then we would come on from the other side of the stage. And we were not meant to. Interact really directly with John, and we didn't meet him beforehand, and and whatever, and so. Um, but at this show, you also do a curtain call, so like you do your set, and then you come out and you do like a a bow after your set. It's a very American idea. It's not really something we do here, but it was like a you know American produced show, Canadian produced show, and so. I've done my set, and look, it went it, it went it went very well bit a bit of home ground advantage you know being the only australian on the lineup you know i think the audience were kind of just on my side but also you know i had a good set it all all the stuff came out in the right way and i have two memories of that one is that i walked back and louis ck was on next and at the time he was a great hero of mine and he just was like hey that was a really good set (laughs) And then... I thought you were going to say you're walking off stage and Louis CK was masturbating. And he was masturbating. Louis CK was enjoying it so much he was masturbating. He's like, you're cool with this, right? you okay with this? I was like, I am, but I don't think everybody would be, Louis. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to need a mop. And then when I went to do my curtain call, I went, fuck it. I've had a great set. This is my only opportunity and I ran across stage to where John Cleese was on the other side of stage and I hugged him. And then, wow. and afterwards, he was very complimentary about my work. But then, a couple of weeks later, he was being interviewed by a Perth newspaper and mentioned me by name and how well that I'd done and whatever. And it was genuinely one of the great highlights of my entire life.
0: It, I could imagine. There's a great scene in the O2 Arena doco where, um, so each night they had a sketch would have a, celeb- a different celebrity come on stage. And you know, Simon Pegg did it, Lee Mack. And um, one of the ones was Mike Myers. And so Mike Myers is there. You're sort of following him backstage. And there's a moment uh, before John Cleese is about to go on stage to do the albatross sketch. <laughs> you know, he's dressed up. He's got like the cigarette box of the big albatross. He's got his wig on and the hat. And you see Mike Myers on of stage. It's just a beautiful little bit of kind of B-roll footage where you see like Mike is looking up at him like he's 12 years old again. Like, oh my God, it's John Cleese. And you see him sort of like slowly lift up his phone and like politely mouth to John Cleese like, is it okay? And see so John Cleese looks down and nods and he, like, he takes a photo. Then you just see him quietly mouth, thank you. And then John Cleese goes on stage and it's like, they interview him afterwards and he's, and he's like, I just like, if you'd told me... It, when i was 14 that i was going to be on stage with monty python like i wouldn't believe you and the the person and i guess in retrospect
1: i shouldn't have started masturbating but louis ck was there (laughs) and he said it was totally cool
0: (laughs) the interviewer asked and they said is there any like who were the equivalent in you know canada or america and he said i don't think there is like i think they're just that unique one of a kind
1: it's amazing anyway guys uh, Uh, take it from us monty python quite good quite good as it turns out uh, let's get to some mail Will. Hey, um, uh, just before to... we get to the mail can yeah. I duck to the bathroom and we'll do it oh yeah sure absolutely
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks podcast Mike he just gave
1: his permission to resume. <laughs> resume. Like he was fucking like Joaquin came Phoenix playing fucking Julius Caesar in Gladiator. It was like a real like get back to your dancing resume. monkeys perform. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry podcast mic. Are pleased. you not entertained?
0: <laughs> you bore me now. Resume your chatter. Resume. Resume. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Thank you, Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> resume. Uh, resume. <laughs> All right. We hope our we hope our banter pleases you, sir. <laughs> is this
1: is. <laughs> got a little lappity for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> resume. Jesters, <laughs> jesters, <Justice>. resume. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, Caesar grows bored of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is from Sebastian. Hey Will and Charlie, I've been listening to the pod since I was 14. Oh, professional badass. So it's been about three years now. A few episodes ago, you talked about that Eurovision movie and also if doing a Scandinavian accent is racist. Mm. Well, as someone who's half as Icelandic, I can speak it pretty fluently. And I feel like I can rate that movie on how accurate it is and tell you both if you're going to get canceled. <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. The, yeah. Have you seen, you, you've seen it, right? I can't remember. We talked about you. Remember? I've seen half of it. Okay. So you get the idea though. Yeah. Um, okay. So right off the bat, the song, Yah yeah. Ding dong was written by Will Ferrell. Uh, and about is about as Icelandic as you guys are. <laughs> The movie's depiction of Will Ferrell's hometown is very accurate. And that's where my mum, it's kind of where, like where my mum grew up. No idea how to spell it, but translated it means <laughs> House town. Housetown. What's in your town? Houses. Cool.
1: Not even like a blockbuster or anything? No, no, just houses. That's housetown. Just houses. It's actually really inconvenient. There's nowhere to buy stuff. There's so many people who live here. Well, what do you guys do for entertainment? Oh, we watch TV. Well, what do you watch? House. House. And you know what my favourite type of music is? House music.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> that James Bond guy, that James Bond guy's Icelandic is about as bad as it gets, and I had to turn off the subtitles to understand it. Will Ferrell's accent is also very bad. Uh, those elves that knife the bad guy in the back... Oh, sorry, spoilers out there. <laughs> those elves that knife the bad guy in the back... Uh, very real to some people, and a very prominent in Icelandic myths and such. So, have you seen that part of the film yet,
1: where they talk? She's how Rachel McAdams believes in elves. I saw her visiting some elves. I don't yeah, know if they yeah, stabbed yeah. anyone in the back yet, but I, I think that uh, I saw them. I saw her visit some elves.
0: Yeah, because I wasn't sure about that bit. I was like, "Is this a really like horribly racist stereotype about like Scandinavians? They believe in elves, but felt like turns it out was that they do." <laughs>
1: Well, it still could be racist. Just because it's based in some sort of truth does not mean that it's not racist. Iceland has
0: never won a Eurovision song contest, but came second twice, I think. I couldn't care less about Eurovision. I think it's about as dumb as naming your, your town House Town. Hey! Sebastian and I, run on the same boat. <laughs> When all the higher-ups are watching the concert, there's some very out-of-place red and white-blue balloons in the corner, which is very unIcelandic. Anyway, it's accurate because it was filmed in Iceland, but very inaccurate, well, inaccurate, I would say there, Sebastian, because it le- uh, because the leads are not Icelandic. Overall, 5 out of 10 for accuracy. As to you both being cancelled, you absolutely both will be, but probably not for this. <laughs> okay, thanks for the of confidence. <laughs> anyway, I love the pod, and I want you guys to know... The first time I ever tried medication was with my friends at 2 a.m. When we lit up, I, it was like, guys, we've got to listen to this pod. And at first, they were like, what the fuck? Are you like 35, are you a 35 year old man? Get that shit out of here. But then we did. And it's one of my fondest memories until my friend's mum walked in and I was grounded for six months. Anyway, keep up the good work. And I love the pod a lot. Amazing. I don't know what's more disturbing about that story. A teenager smoking a joint or a teenager
1: listening to Topop <laughs> with his mates. I mean, if they had been in a cave smoking that joint, that would be the only thing that made it better. This is from uh, Charlie.
0: All right. Did I email this myself? From okay. you. Hey, guys. I've been listening to uh, for a long time to both Topop and Two Guys One Cup, and I think that maybe Topop 303 Purge Night... Might be one of my new favourites. Well, you know where you can check out Purge Night if you haven't heard it yet? At com. Will. Tell people about it. <laughs> in a sec. <laughs> Tell people
1: about it. Oh, shit. My mum just walked in and I'm going to be grounded <laughs> for six weeks. Um uh, ToeFop.com is an excellent website where you can see all the incredible art of James Fosdyke. It has all our podcasts, so it's the home for Tofop, Fofop, Two Guys, One Cup, and Willosophy, and you can get all the episodes, all the links to the episodes, all the artwork for the episodes. There is uh, examples of a comic book series that you can access on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash ToeFop as well. And, of course, you can go to the Redbubble page as well and buy James Fosdyke's amazing merchandise, and if you like. Like the purge night stuff he's done a specific poster but there are mugs and masks and stickers and magnets and all sorts of things and it's fair to say seeing that the purge night art featured amy uh i've bought a whole bunch of those things and they are currently coming to our house <laughs> so we are gonna have a whole bunch of her with a fucking axe and me hiding behind her all over our house
0: cowering cowering um I've been listening to you for a long time uh, on both Tofop 2 Guys 1 Cup. Maybe Tofop 303 3 Purge Night might have been one of my favourites. A couple of reasons why. You talk through your response to The Purge, a movie series I hadn't even heard of, with three examples of people in your circle as awesome characters for a remake. You urge a bunch of listeners to go and watch a series they may not have been aware of through the chat about Monty Python series. My wife and I probably wouldn't have watched The Last Dance and Rhythm and Flow without your banter. And then finish... Off with a fan inclusion of an amazing song that was written by an offhanded request after a ridiculously a ridiculously riff on what wacko jacko uh, on a wacko jacko rabbit hole. This is amazing. Some this guy needs to write like our, our bios. <laughs> this is like i have gonna say recap. this.
1: This sounds, sounds like, like a sounds great awesome. podcast. As someone who was involved in, it, <laughs> I can't remember it being that good, but it <laughs> sounds awesome in retrospect. <laughs> I'm an
0: Individual is a great song by a girl. But that isn't the best thing about the episode. You know what? I like this. Maybe
1: 303 we peaked. Like Monty Python. Should we quit? <laughs> is this the last episode? No, I like, like to think that like 300 were just practice. 302 episodes <laughs> of this shit were just practice. We're about to get on a fucking roll, mate. The next 10 years, right. that's where we're going to hit our sweet spot. But that isn't the best thing about the episode. I think there is an opportunity
0: in this episode to consider. Much like Smodcast made Tusk, I think you guys are primed to make your own version of The Purge, The Corona Purge. Halfway through the episode, Will talked about a version of The Purge where if you follow the coronavirus restrictions, you get a night out on pur- a night out to Purge. You already talked through the three main characters. There's Amy, there's old man Charlie, and Charlie's mate who John, uh, John Wicked, the guys who got his brother. Think about it. Amy character in rural Australia with a penchant for weapons hoarding and looks after her ailing, bad-hit partner. She fucks up the local purges with her bayonets. Old man Charlie waits for the local motorbikers to shove metal rods rods through their spokes and then throw (laughs) bricks at unruly teenagers. These are Charlie's actual words. They're dark. Go back and listen. It's scary. Charlie's mate, John Wick, in a two-hands Aussie crime flick in a regional town, picking kids off one by one. And you can take it from there. Keep up the great pods, Charlie. Maybe I did write this to myself. It's such a good idea. I'd like to think I wrote that email. Tofop,
1: our own Tofop Purge Purge. movie. I love it because I'm obsessed with the idea of the universe, but I've never really enjoyed any of the movies. Surely the solution is just to make our own homemade Purge movie.
0: Well, he's sort of saying. I I think he's suggesting those are the three main characters of one film, but I reckon there might be enough material in there for three films. I reckon we make a trilogy. trilogy toe urge we'll call it to urge the top urge <laughs> uh thanks for that this is from connor to colon fop hey guys i just wanted to say that i love the pod it's been a great way to pass the time on long journeys doing general tasks and especially throughout lockdown i've been working my way back through the toe catalog uh, through the TOEFOP catalogue and had a question. Throughout this show, you have both named numerous TV shows that you have watched and loved, and I was wondering what your opinions are on some of these now that they've finished or had uh, more seasons to them. The main ones mentioned were Westworld, Game of Thrones, and Sherlock. Personally, I thought that most of these ended with a sense of disappointment, but I'd love to get your opinion. Uh, Thanks for the great content, entertainment, and laughs. All right, I'll go first. Westworld. Um, loved the first series and I got bored halfway through the second and I've never gone back to it Game of Thrones I like the way it ended I'm all for it I, I, I it's, a, I don't know if I enjoyed the way the series ended but I enjoyed how outraged people were getting by it I think that I found that entertaining to see how upset people were like seeing friends of mine like do angry posts on Facebook and Twitter about the ending and I'm like why do you care that much so I enjoyed it regardless but I don't know if it's the way the series ended and Sherlock I've never seen an
1: episode of uh i'll work backwards sherlock i loved early on i feel like i'd like to see more of it because i still think there's a better way to finish it up than if it finished up now it's not necessarily over sherlock but it's one of those things that like getting everybody together to do it again is increasingly problematic so i hope that there's a final series that ends a bit more satisfyingly but i enjoyed the series um game of thrones I was never that attached to. I watched it all. I'm a bit like you. I didn't mind the last series. I thought, yeah, some of it was a bit rushed and a few things were probably not like, you know, but whatever. I I actually thought it was fine. Like, I'm a bit like you and I just didn't care enough about Game of Thrones, really. Um, I was like, yep, I'm glad this is over. Didn't need three more seasons. It's fine. They just wrapped (laughs) it up. I get the gist. If George R. R. Martin yeah. ever finishes his fucking book, he can write whatever ending he wants to fucking write, but he didn't finish his book and they needed to finish this show. So, sorry. Sorry, mate. Just fucking write faster if you want a better ending. Um, and then Westworld season three. I-, I loved season two, but season three I found harder work. Um, not as interesting on so many different levels. By the end of it, I quite liked it like it was a season three set up felt like a really good set up to season four but that was really pretty much all that i liked about season three was like it kind of set up a more interesting possible season four uh scott writes in hey guys
0: listening to your chat about four and twenty pies and their international recognition and couldn't help but wonder how you haven't heard about ben simmons in the nba and the fact that he's an ambassador for the brand did you know that I did know that. Uh, Ben was the number one draft pick for the Philadelphia 76ers. The team, the home, the stadium, and the whole city was so keen to have and to keep Ben there that they even sell 4-20 pies at the game. Oh, that feels like something we should have brought up last week.
1: Oh, you know what? We talked about 4-20 pies for 40 minutes. And at one stage, I was like, I wonder if I should mention this. And I was like, I'm not sure this conversation needs to go for... This fucking podcast is being pie warmed at the moment. I don't think that we need to have one more fucking riff around fucking 4 and 20 meat pies. But I did know that they originally, as part of a promotion, served them at the game. I'd be interested to see if they're still... Well, they're not obviously having crowds at games at the moment. But when it returns... Will there have been enough of demand and has Ben Simmons played well (laughs) enough that people will still want to eat a 4 and 20 pie or people just go, nah, fuck this. I want to go back to hot dogs and chips.
0: Also, this is Scott continues. Also, as pie innovation, everyone is moving towards plant-based pies these days. Mm. Everyone knows that banana and oat pie would be the real winner here. (laughs) Looking forward to reading this in 2024. You reading this in 2024. Keep up the mediocre work, Scott Duncan. Thanks, Scott.
1: little slap on the way out the door um jocelyn writes um in, there is a vegan 4 and 20 uh, i i was aware of that but i've never tried one but people sent me a lot of links to the vegan 4 and 20 which i would try i would definitely if someone if i went into a shop and they had a vegan 4 and 20 i would probably try it uh jocelyn writes in good morning will and charlie after listening to your
0: discussion about meat pies and pie warmers this could be our most popular topic yet will <laughs> we've maybe struck upon something the latent pie fan base I wanted to clarify a couple of things from an American perspective. Well, this is good. We asked for that for about pie warmers. Whilst we don't consume meat pies like here in Australia, we do eat them at dinner on occasion and they're called pot pies. Usually you buy them frozen and it takes an eternity or what feels like one to cook them in the oven. I remember they were usually turkey or chicken based, but I'm sure there were beef and gravy versions available as well. I'm in Queensland now, so I can't really verify. You were searching for the U.S. equivalent of twenty pies and came up with Macca's. I'd like to put forward Oscar Mayer instead. They make hot dogs and uh, Bologna. Know, is it Bologna? Is that how you pronounce it? Bologna? Bologna. 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 Um, Bologna. Bologna. And they're what you find at baseball games and 7-Elevens alike. They're the national brand. Most Americans could probably sing their jingle. Important topics in such a tumultuous time. Have an awesome day. P.S. I tried sending an email a few weeks back with a comic strip of an anthropomorphized bin. I hope you received it. I think we did. Didn't we do a whole episode that was called anthropomorphized bin? Anyway. uh, This is from Samson.
1: My hair is long. I am powerful. <laughs> is that Samson? I couldn't remember. <laughs> I Samson He's the guy who wrote that song. Hey there, Delilah. <laughs> uh, Samson writes in pie warmers. <laughs> Three emails in a row
0: about pie warmers. Who Colin Fop? I think the man he need to talk to about the pie warmers and the overseas pie temperature dilemma is Will's co-host and great mate Uncle Russell. He previously owned a pie factory with his wife and his sister-in-law, my mum. I hope name-dropping Russell gets my name read out on the podcast. I love the many hours of entertainment you guys provide, Sam. Hey, how about that?
1: Russell Howcroft owned a pie company. You were sitting on that info the whole time and you said nothing. I did also know this, but I also know that it's it's not necessarily the happiest chapter in Russell's life, his time as a pie factory owner, because... It was a great dream of Russell's to own a pie factory. But then it turns out that the day-to-day of owning a pie factory is not as glamorous as whatever idea Russell had in his head about. I think he thought he was going to be like Willy Wonka of pies and that he would have this like magical. He would invite five children in through a golden ticket they found in their pies and he would have like a, a river of running meat sauce and like you know that I- he he he's ba- his He's better be a big pie. He'd drive like a pie car. His hat would be like a, a crusty pie crust. Yeah, exactly. I felt like he was gonna be the pie man and he was gonna be in charge of pie. And like <laughs> you know, he was gonna be chairman pie. And I, I feel like that the day to day of running a pie factory wasn't wasn't what he'd once dreamed about. And that's why he no longer owns a pie factory. Yeah. I mean that whole
0: dream you had, Will, it was just pie in the sky. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's how we're going to go out. Thanks for listening. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.
1: Goodbye. Resume.